Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Often the reason why we reject God is not because we don't believe He's good, but because we know that we're not. And there's something that happens in our hearts when we realize that this God loves us even though we're not good, even though we're imperfect, even though we've failed, even though we're rebels, even though we've made mistakes, many of them, when you realize that God's heart is for you, it breaks that rebelliousness within you. It turns you around and it, uh, it, it faces you towards the grace of God. And this is what I saw happening that day. And I realized that many people have the incorrect view of God and, and, and his, his heart towards them. They don't understand God's heart. And that's what makes the difference. When you realize the heart of God is for you, the heart of God is for you, and the lengths that he went to in order to bring rebels like us home. We have this idea of God that he is just waiting to judge us, that he's just waiting to punish us, that he's just waiting to condemn people, and people know that they have things in their lives that, that are not right, and so they feel like, if I go to the church, the place where they think God lives, then all I'm going to experience is that judgment and that, and that condemnation and that shame. And so they go, why, do, why would I put myself through that? I'd rather stay away. That's the way that people see God. But this idea of God is not based on the Scriptures. It's not based on what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what the heart of God is. It's not based on God's self-declaration as He declares Himself to be a God of steadfast love whose mercy endures throughout the generations. It's not based on who God says He is. It's actually based on our own sense of guilt. How many of you know that, that you, when you know that you're guilty, you're just waiting for somebody to punish you? Like if you know that you've done something wrong and the phone rings, you're like, they've caught me. How many of you are afraid to open up your email because you know you owe someone money or there's some issue or you've done something wrong and they're going to trace you somehow? When you know that you're guilty, you're living life just waiting for someone to punish you. How many of you have outstanding traffic fines? I'm putting my hand up the highest because I developed the theory years ago which said, if you don't pay them, they won't find you, all right? So like... I didn't pay traffic fines for years. I'm confessing this morning. I'm not proud of it. I'm a rebel just like you. I didn't pay traffic fines. The other night I had a dream that I got an email that said there was a summons out for my arrest for not paying traffic fines. I kid you not, yesterday I got an email. There's no summons, thank God. But somehow the traffic department now have my email address. So if you can this week, please pray for me, because um, I don't know how much I owe. I was too scared to open up. But the point is, I was expecting the punishment. I was expecting the judgment, because I know that I'm guilty. If anybody from JMPD is listening to this, this is not an admission of guilt. I'm talking generally. But <laughs> the point is, is that when you know you're guilty, you're just waiting for the punishment. And oftentimes, because we have that sense of guilt, we know we've done things wrong, we just expect that that's what God's gonna do. My son Eli, he's seven years old, and he's kind of just started that phase where he loves listening to music. And, uh, and so he asked us if we could get him a radio or something that he could put in his room to listen um, to music to. And so 
Um, Lee and I got him this little portable radio that has like a USB input and an aux input and all the little things. And um, it's just a little uh, radio that he can carry around and, and leave in his room. And so we got it for him and we got a USB flash drive and we put some worship tracks on there. And, uh, and for a few days, he absolutely loved it. I mean, he had it plugged in, and the worship music was playing. I mean, we, that's, that's all we put on there. Um, we just put this worship, and he was going to bed with it on, like falling asleep with it on and waking up in the morning. And first thing in the morning, like 5 a.m., the music's back on. And uh, about two days later, this just became way too much fun to leave the radio in the room. And so he started carrying it around. Um, in the house, and so it would be on the table outside, and they'd be playing in the garden, there's like worship music, I'm like, this is great, like my, my kids are like a walking, you know, declaration of God's goodness with this little portable radio, and, um, and at one point, uh, Lee and I were in the room, and Eli came to me, and he handed the radio back to me, and he said, Dad, take this away from me, because I don't deserve it. Take this away from me. I'm like, what do you mean you don't deserve the radio? We got it for you. We've given it to you. It's yours. And he said, no, it was outside. And I was carrying it around and I put it down and it fell over. And when it fell over, it broke the USB. And now the USB is broken and you got this for me as a gift and I've broken it. And so I don't deserve it. Will you take it away from me? And, you know, we looked at him and said, boy, we, we didn't get you this radio because you deserved it. We, we didn't get it for you based on good behavior. We got you this radio because we love you. And because we love you, we love to bless you. We want you to have it. Don't worry, we'll get you another USB, and we'll put some more worship tracks on there, and, and, and you can have it again. It's yours, and, and you could see the confusion on his face. He's like, but I know that I had this thing. I had my chance, and I blew it. How could my parents give it back to me? He knew that he was undeserving, and so many times that's our attitude when it comes to church, when it comes to the life that God has for us. You know, we're like, God gives us salvation. It's a free gift. And then we take that and we go and we make mistakes. And we, we, we still, we realize that we still have to grow in our walk and we still fall short and we still have sin that's present in our lives and in our actions. And so many times we go back to God and we go, God, take this salvation back. Like, take this thing you gave me back because I clearly don't deserve it. In other words, we disqualify ourselves for what God said is a free gift of His grace. We say, I'm not worthy of the gift of God. I'm not worthy of salvation. I'm not worthy of forgiveness. I'm not worthy of blessing. And we count ourselves out because we've begun to believe the lie that we have to earn our worthiness before God, that we have to beg for our worthiness. And this is essentially why we have such a hard time relating to God. We know that we're sinners. We know that we're rebels. We know we've fallen short. And we cannot possibly conceive of a God who would accept us in this condition. Like that friend of mine saying, I just don't understand how God could love somebody like me with all the mistakes that I've made. And so, again, it's our own sense of guilt that turns God in our minds into a monster because a monster is all we believe that we deserve. It's not that God is a monster. It's that we feel we deserve a monster for the things that we've done. And that just perpetuates our rebellion. You know, when you feel like you've blown it, like you might as well go all in. You might as well double down on the rebellion and go all the way with your sinfulness. Because you're like, I'm, I'm rejected anyways. So I might as well just go and live for myself and do whatever makes me feel good. And that is the mantra of our world. Do whatever makes you happy. Live your own truth. Like, like just 
you know, and it's impossible for us to be good and self-centered at the same time. It's impossible. That's what the world is trying to peddle at this point. The philosophy of this world is you can do what makes you happy and be good at the same time. It doesn't work that way because one is self-centeredness, and that's not good in essence. And so it's really, really difficult for us when we believe that God has rejected us. And, and what exists deep down in our hearts is this longing that we could be redeemed. We still hope that there's somebody that would love us in spite of us. And so throughout the Bible, God goes to extreme lengths to prove something to us. To extreme lengths. Go and read the Bible because we often think that the Bible is filled of God using these heroes. But nobody in the Bible is a hero. Nobody in the Bible lived a perfect life. There's only one hero in Scripture and it's Jesus himself. Because God used the most untrustworthy, the most unworthy, the most dastardly, the most treacherous, the most rebellious people he could find. The roughest people he could find. And he used them to speak the message of redemption. Why does God use rebels to speak redemption? Because they are the message. They can speak it because it's who they are. Abraham was an idol worshiper. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jonah was a coward who ran away from God. David, an adulterer, who also had his best friend sent to the front line so he could be killed, so that he could take his best friend's wife. Paul was a Christian exterminator. And by that, I don't mean a Christian who had an extermination business. He exterminated Christians. Peter was an ear decapitator and a denier of Jesus. Thomas was a doubter. John Mark was a deserter. And Anchor Church is a group of imperfect rebels who still often struggle to believe that God loves them. And yet... We are the ones through whom God speaks his message of redemption. Yet God loves us so much so that on Good Friday, he sent his own son who took on the form of a man and lived in a way that he was often reviled, he was insulted, he was rejected. The Bible says he was one as from whom men hid their faces. And on Good Friday, he was falsely accused he had a cross put on his back and he marched it through the streets while people mocked him and jeered at him. And he got up to the hill of Golgotha outside of the, the, the city of Jerusalem. And there he was nailed to that cross, an innocent man. And he died on the cross, hung between two thieves, two common criminals. And he died there. This was the greatest display of love that has ever been shown. Nobody has ever loved me more than that. Nobody has ever proven to love me more than that. And the Bible says that God did not do this for us because we were good enough. As Romans 5.8 says, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did it when we were still mocking him. In fact, Jesus was dying for the very people that were nailing him to the cross. And there's this amazing thing that happens that after Jesus had been nailed to the cross and when he breathed out his last and the sky was darkened, and the, and the earth shook, and the, and, and the veil in the temple was torn in two. The Bible says that the centurion who had just nailed Jesus to that cross looked at him and said, surely this was the Son of God. Surely this is the Son of God. 
And it says that all those who stood around the cross mocking him and jeering him and insulting him and spitting on him and telling him to save himself, they all went home beating their chests. This is the realization that comes into our lives that when we realize that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for us. Not just the sins of the whole world, but the sins of my world, my life. He did it for me. He did it for you. And when you realize that, you begin to understand the love of God. 1 John 4.10 says, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The one who takes away our sins. The canceller of debts. It's the, the year of God's favor. The year of God's grace. The year of God's forgiveness. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And this is his love. Do you know that for many years, I based my Christianity on how much I loved God. And I've tried to prove to God and to everyone else how much I loved God. Do you know that my relationship with Jesus for many years felt like a roller coaster? Ups and downs. And how many of you, I, I mean, as a pastor, I've heard this so many times. People will come to me, they'll be crying. They'll, they'll, they'll come to, into my office, they'll sit down, they'll say... I just feel so far from God. And I'll tell them, it doesn't matter how you feel, you're not. You're not. You know why you're not? Because Jesus brought you in. He brought you in. And your closeness to God is not dependent on how faithful you've been. It's dependent on, on how faithful Jesus has been. When you realize that, you realize you can actually live this life. You can actually have this relationship with God. You can actually know Him and hear Him and, 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 and give yourself to Him and live a different kind of life. Because our standing with God is based on what Jesus has done for us, not what we have done for Jesus. I don't know if you've ever lost something really valuable to you. Like how many of you do a pocket check when you're walking around in the mall? Like if you've sat down somewhere, you've eaten somewhere, or if you've done something, you've gone to the movies, and, and now you walk out and you do a pocket check. For most guys, you know, I, I won't say the normal rhyme, but you, know, you, normally go for your, you normally go for your keys, your wallet, and your phone. You need those three things. You've got four pockets. There'll be one empty pocket maybe with a few papers, and then you need keys, wallet, and phone. How many of you have ever felt and gone, there's the keys, there's, there's the wallet, and then not felt your phone? How many of you have, uh, that's happened to you? Let me just show you what happens to your heart, okay? This is a normal heartbeat, all right? That's your normal heartbeat. This is your heartbeat when you're dead, okay, which basically means you don't have one. And then this is when you feel your pockets and you don't feel your phone, right? That's what happens. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you're like, oh, dear Jesus, where is it? And then you're like, oh, it's in the other pockets, Okay. The point is, is that when we lose something that's valuable to us, it produces a massive response. There's a surge of adrenaline and a surge of passion and a surge of intensity to find the thing that we've lost. We run, we search, we pursue, we do whatever we must to retrieve that which has been lost. As a parent, the worst feeling in the world is when you think you've lost a child. And with my busy boys, I've been in that position before when I thought, I don't know where my child is. And the scriptures tells us that that's the heart of God. When we went lost, he went in search. When we went missing, he ran after us. 
And that's, in essence, what Easter is about. The heart of God, Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Talking about us. That's why Jesus came, not to destroy men's lives, but to save them. I want to end off this morning by just bringing to our remembrance the beautiful story of the father who had two sons. And one son was the, the, the eldest son, remained faithful in his father's house, and he was there. And the younger son, he had other ideas. And he said, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to take my inheritance, and I'm going to go off, and I'm going to spend it. My, my dad is a wealthy guy. I want my money, and I want to live my one life. I want to go out there. I want to have fun. I want to enjoy it. I want to do what I want to do. And so he takes his inheritance from his father, and he goes out. And the Bible says he squanders it on reckless living. Another place in Scripture tells us, in, in fact, later on in that story, the older brother says, your youngest son went out and spent all of the money you gave him on prostitutes and reckless living. So it's not just like reckless living. He didn't just buy a nice car. Like he went out and he lived in a horrible, licentious way with the gift that was given him. He went out and spent all of that, blew all of that money on reckless living. And then in the country that he was in at that time, there's this massive famine that arose and there wasn't enough money and he'd blown all his money and he finds himself uh, doing work for a local farmer and he is feeding pigs and he's literally in the pigsty and he longs to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And in that moment, the Bible says he came to his senses. He recognized something. He realized something. So many times we have to go right to rock bottom before we realize what we're actually doing in our lives. People pursue this path that they think is going to fulfill them only to find themselves in the sty with the pigs longing to eat that food. And all of a sudden he came to his senses and he said to himself, my father, even the servants in my father's house eat better than this. Even they have more than enough food. You see, what, what the, the prodigal son realized in that moment was that his father was good. That even to his servants, his father was good. He said, I'll go back to my father and, and, and I will apologize for what I've done. And, and I know that I'm unworthy. And that's what we've been speaking about. When you, know, when you know that you're a rebel, you feel unworthy. In Luke 15 verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy. If you feel that way this morning, you're not the only one who's ever felt that way. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he's like, I'll go back. At least I can go back as a servant. And he goes back and he's rehearsing this speech and he wants to tell his dad, I don't deserve it. I'm no longer worthy. Just like Eli who came to me and said, Dad, take this away from me. You gave it to me. I broke it. So I don't deserve it. That's what happens to rebels like us. We feel unworthy. And this is such a beautiful story. In Luke, 20, in Luke 15 verse 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. That compassion, it's more than our, our modern day compassion that, that, that we say we feel. For, for the people in Hebrew culture, to feel compassion meant to literally feel a pain in your gut. Like the kind of pain that bends you over with agony. 
And as this father saw his son come home, he felt this compassion for him, for this, this love for him, this deep sympathy for him. And he ran and embraced and kissed him. The Greek word kiss there means kissed repeatedly. Not just one kiss, which was cultural for receiving somebody into your home, but there was softness left there. He kept kissing him. He kissed him again and again and again, and he fell on his neck. And Jesus is telling this story to religious people who are thinking that Jesus is wrong to eat with sinners and to hang out with sinners. And Jesus is saying, this is the heart of God towards rebels like us. This is his heart. God falls on the neck of a sinner and he kisses him much. This is how God meets us when we turn around. It says, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I love this. The father ignores his speech completely. Like not, yeah, yeah, I told you, you went off. Where's my money? You're going to work for it? You're going to pay it back? He ignores the speech completely because the Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, not just a robe, not just some clothes, but the best robe and put it on him. That robe symbolizes, the robe that was put on him was a signal or, or a symbol of dignity and honor and acceptance back into the family. It's only family members, it's only sons who were able to wear the robes of the family that was produced or, or provided for by the father. Just like Joseph had his coat given to him by his father, this father says, you're not just coming back as a servant, you're part of the family. I restore your dignity to you. I restore your honor to you. And put it on him and put a ring on his hand. That ring often carried the family crest or the family symbol and it was his access to authority. He was a representative of the house of his father. And he could send letters and decrees and do things based on the ring that was on his finger. When he moved around on his father's lands, he had the authority as an extension of his father. And what God does when we come home, he says, you're not just coming back as a servant. You're not just coming back as a hired hand. You come back and I put my authority on your life. You're a representative of me in this world. God puts his calling and his authority on our lives when we come home. And he says, and shoes on his feet. In those days, slaves and servants went barefoot. They didn't wear shoes. It's only, the, it's only those that lived in the house as part of the family who wore the shoes. And so he comes back and he is a son and not a slave. And that's how we're received by God. That's how we come back into his home. It says, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. He knew he was unworthy. But because of the father's great love and compassion, he was received and not only received. And this is what I want to tell you this morning. You are not only received, but you are also restored. You're not only received or forgiven, but God's grace towards you is not in vain. 
because he doesn't just save you from the things that you've done, but he saves you to the things that he has called you for, to meaning and to purpose and to fulfillment and to significance and, and, and worth before him in Christ. In other words, there is richness here in what God has done for us. Not just, oh, thank God I'm saved, but thank God I'm saved for so much more. God has more for your life because you are not a slave. You are a son. In Galatians 4 and verse 7, it says this. It says, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. That is your identity. No longer unworthy, no longer insignificant, no longer living a life with no meaning, but you are a child of of God, no longer a slave trying to make your way through this life, a slave of unrighteousness, but a son. And if a son, then an heir to all that God has for you. Every promise in Jesus is for you. God's grace is bigger than our regrets. And he, he celebrates, the Bible says, all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes home. All of heaven rejoices when one person comes to understand the love of God and put their faith in Jesus. And Matthew Henry says that these are the unexpected tokens of his forgiving love. You will not believe the amazing things that God will do for you, that God will bless you with, that God will use you for, not because you are worthy, not because you've deserved it, but purely because they are tokens of his forgiving love and grace. So for rebels like us, oh, there is so much hope. There is so much hope. He loves you, whoever you are. He died for you, and all you need to do is recognize where you're at, turn around, and come home. Rebels like us get to come home. We get to turn around we get to give our lives to God. We get to experience the fullness of His grace. And that's our message here at Anchor Church. That's our message here on our Good Friday morning service. We want you to know that whoever you are and however you came to be here, that God's love is for you. He has never given up on you. And if you will allow Him, He will transform your life and show you the unexpected tokens of His love. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning? We're gonna...